Welcome to the Cinematic Adventures podcast, where we are miserable and we're going to share it with you. So not at all how you were supposed to introduce that. Okay, our topic for this week is movies that are hard to watch. That doesn't mean they have to be depression fest, unlike what Daniel like assumes that it means. It just means that usually these are good movies. You watch it one time and you're like, that was really good. I'm never going to watch that. That was, that was not easy to sit through. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, we're also uh, we also like made um, made some rules. Like for example, Baby Driver is on the list because the movie itself is easy to watch. It's just got Kevin Spacey in it, so right. I just didn't want to watch it again because of him. But I yes, I thought you took that off the list. I did because okay. of the new rules. So it's about oh. the subject matter itself, not like outside influences. Right. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, I was going to have movies that I wouldn't see more than once, but then it's just like hard to watch movies. So I got some of these I've seen twice. Um, one of these I've seen at least 10 times. Cause like, I guess I like being miserable. Why the fuck did yeah. I watch that 10 times? Yeah, see the first question I had was, then how the hell is it hard to watch? But then the second, like the realization I had was, this is Daniel. Yeah, So I enjoy pain kind of answers that question all right uh so what's the first movie on your list the first movie on the list the one that i've seen not 10 times but at least five is the babadook okay have you seen the short film uh that this is based on i have not because it's australian and we all know how americans feel with other countries so um i forget what the short film is called but uh the even australians don't care about australians Exactly. We only have seven <laughs> films. This is one of them. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> go ahead. So, The Babadook is uh, based on a short film by the director. And uh, the rule for Australian films is it's either government propaganda or uh, it's made for 10 bucks. So, you're a communist country. Okay. Yeah, we're communists. So, um, got it. So, basically, uh, Hollywood has like the oh, we're making the same film like 500 times because it's easier to sell. And then they're like, why isn't this easier to sell? It's like, because that one was good and you make crap. Um, for us, it's not so much that because it's easy to sell. It's more like, like Hollywood's like, hey, that made money. I want to do that again. Make that, make it again. Do the exact same thing because I want to make the exact same money. But they don't realize like if you do that, then it's going to it's going to water it down and eventually nobody's going to go to see that ever again because they've seen it too many times because exactly. they just hit the button like that made money do it again exactly you had the speed on a blank uh series i mean to be fair the fast and furious franchise is speed in a car i mean not in I a mean, car but like speed um or not speed it's uh um uh what's the other keanu reeves movie not speed kinda. point break there point it break. is point break I mean, in car yeah yeah uh, they got away with it because they like, oh, so we sold, anyway, we, st we, st we stole v VCRs in the first one. But like, mm -hmm. what if we just went insane? Mm -hmm. And they did. But like, that's not on my list because that is hilarious and very easy to watch. And I watch it at least five times a day. So, uh, Babadook is a, uh, an indie horror movie. It's independent. It was made for five bucks. 
it's great. It has the it has the horror um, trick of if you can barely see the monster, you can make it cheaply, and it'll be scarier probably. Yeah, and yet you couldn't finish Invisible Man. I might bring this up every single podcast now until you you actually do finish it. I mean, I'll no. Who am I kidding? It's Um, made by an Australian director. Have you no sense of pride? I do. I'm very proud that the movie that so the Invisible Man was also on my list um, because I literally couldn't finish it. Literally, yeah, which is why I I I keep making fun of you because it actually gets better. From the time you left, like it, it gets. I can't emphasize enough how good I think Invisible Man is, but the fact that they wanted me to feel tense and uncomfortable and bad, uh, and then I felt intense, uncomfortable, and bad proves it worked spectacularly. And yet you don't. Yet you want to see Uncut Gems? That's literally Uncut Gems is an anxiety fest. I'm Australian. I can sit down with alcohol and finish Uncut Gems. And yet, you can't finish Invisible Man. Because I was in the cinema, uh, just trapped forever. So I decided that I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm just not going to finish it. That's fine. That's fine. I'll do something else. I'll do anything else. Still don't get it. I still don't get it. It doesn't matter. Anywho. Okay, so back to the Babadook, which yeah, is but, so hard to watch, but you've seen it 10 times. Yeah, I love it. Uh, the Babadook represents, like, can represent a lot of stuff, but it, it rep- I thought that it represented guilt because she's, uh, the mother is uh, carrying guilt for, um, and there's also grief. It basically, uh, her husband died and she's feeling guilt and grief and she's carrying that around with her. And it basically, the Babadook is a metaphor, a manifestation of, um, of her baggage. Um, to me, it was solely grief, but grief has different aspects. Guilt is part of it. Um, and it's not just her, it's also her son which is why he was able to see it too. And it's the kind of, and why they can't get a ri- get rid of it. Like they try to go, they try to burn it. They try to throw it away. You can't move away from it. It's going to follow you. And at the end, they just have, they learn that they just have to manage it. They just, they have to deal with it. It's like the thing in the closet. You can feed it every now and then. So it doesn't like consume you, but you can, you can handle it. To me, that was the, that's how I saw it. I but I'm think, American. What do I know? Oh, I think you, you basically <laughs> nailed it. Uh, it's really creepy. It's really uncomfortable. The little kid in this, uh, played by Noah, uh, who's called uh, Samuel, is a great kid actor. A lot of biblical he, names going on. Mm-hmm. Samuel. He's, uh, uh, he is good. Uh, the movie is creepy. And uh, I agree that it's hard to watch, but I don't... I, it's hard to watch, but not... Obviously not that hard because like you've seen it multiple times. Yeah. Um, but it's it the reason it's difficult to watch is because when you're first watching it, like the mystery of what's happening is is confusing and you're put in this uncomfortable place. But then when you realize what you're watching, like what it's a metaphor for, then it's really uncomfortable because then it reminds you of your own grief and you're like, oh fuck, it actually is kind of like this. And then you're like, uh this is making me like almost have feelings. I don't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's hard to watch because it's like, ah, I feel this sometimes and I don't want to 
I don't want to watch characters to that feel that way as well. Indeed. And uh, there's like seven people in the movie, um, one of which is uh, the Babadook, and it's really, really weird that like what has happened online with the Babadook, and I'm like, dudes, we don't need this. Um, have, do you know what's happened with the Babadook online? I don't, and the way you're saying it, you're making me think I don't want to. I mean, I'm going to tell you anyway, but of you course. don't want to. Here we go. Thanks for that. Thanks. You're like, hey, um, I'm miserable. So, now you're miserable. There you go. Yeah, so um, the internet has decided that oh, the Babadook is gay. And I'm like, why? Why do you want it? Wait, what? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Uh, thank you. It's That's what emotion. I said. Emotions don't have sexuality. Uh, yeah, but like the internet. It's a metaphor for grief. That doesn't make any fucking sense. I know. It's annoying. Plus, okay. why do you want this horrifying monster that can that um makes people feel terrible, right? If it's a literal mm-hmm. monster, to be that. That's dumb. And you're dumb for feeling that way. So I don't even understand like how that works. So what are are they saying that it's a metaphor for homosexuality or are they just saying like the monster itself is gay because monsters don't like reproduce? I don't understand I, what's going on. I have no idea. Okay. It's really so basically stupid. it's just stupid people being stupid, and we we can't process their stupidity. Yeah. Okay. Also, they ship him with it. Next movie. What? Okay. I know. Yeah, next movie. It's the worst. Anyway, I love Babadook. Okay. Uh, also, it's bad book. It's clever. Okay. Uh, the next movie. Uh, speaking of feeling miserable, is Misery. Okay. So Stephen King was like, "Hmm, what is my nightmare?" Uh, wasn't he hopped up on cocaine at the time? I mean, I thought he always was. I mean, for a good portion of the 80s, yeah. Um, but I thought, like, this book specifically was, like, him trying to escape. So, like, she, her, the stalker is, like, she's a metaphor for his cocaine addiction. I thought that, um, I mean, maybe. I don't That's know. That's what I thought. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But, like, this is precisely the kind of uh thing that a, an author would think scary what if one of my fans i was just trapped in a cabin with one of my crazy fans mm. it might be a metaphor for cocaine addiction but like it also works as him is horror fan fiction like it's like what if he wrote it's like he wrote his own fan fiction if this was stephen king right and his name was stephen <laughs> king i'd be it just be that like but it's really good. Um, and Kathy Bates, uh, did she win an Oscar right. for this? Um, I don't remember because I was a child. I think she either won or she was nominated and she's fucking great. And I've seen her in literally everything else she's done. She always plays the nice person uh, in movies. So, <laughs> so with Misery, she's just doing something different. Um Okay, maybe I wasn't a child. Maybe I was a teenager, but whatever. Um, she won best. Um, she won best actress for Misery. Okay, so she deserves it. <laughs> I do horror. Horror movies don't really get much recognition, but they always. But the one recognition that they do get for the Oscars is um, is an actor. Yes, um, a lot of mainstream movies like you know superhero movies action films they don't they don't get a nod most of the time but when they do 
it's for either something like costume or like design or like CGI, or if it's one of the main ones, it's almost always like supporting actor, occasionally actor, very seldom is it picture. That's fair enough. The, um, so what the movie's about this uh, man called Stephen King who gets into a car accident and he calls himself Paul, but we know. Um, Paul is, yeah, Paul is, Paul Sheldon, I believe, is one of Stephen King's aliases. <laughs> really? So, I thought I was making that up. Yeah, well, um, cause Stephen King used to write, um, so he was, when, when he, he writes like all the time, right? He's one of these, these writers who like, he just every single day he's writing, right? And he writes, he says he does like six pages a day. So that's why he has like hundreds of books. Um, and he has so many books. I was shocked. Like, yeah. I thought that Terry Pratchett was a prolific writer because he wrote 26. Nope. Apparently, <laughs> hundreds of books. Stephen yeah. King is just like, I don't even remember writing it. Yeah, he, well, that was when he was like, you know, in a cocaine-filled, like, stupor. So that's why some of it just doesn't make any fucking sense. He's even admitted as much. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the hell I was writing. Um, so, <laughs> but with, um, he, because he wrote so much, like, he sometimes wanted to write outside of the horror genre but everybody wanted him to write horror so when he whenever he wrote something that wasn't horror he would give himself an alias so that he could because people wouldn't accept Stephen King writing you know Pride and Prejudice so he would give himself an alias um and I was right because I just found an article that was like Misery is a book about addiction um but it's also about him being uh tied to the horror genre he wanted to not do that anymore um but it's but it's like specifically says annie wilkes is cocaine that's a that's what i thought i was like isn't that about his addiction yeah she is his addiction to cocaine he was trying to get off so um many people many artists will do that they will if they have an addiction they will use their art to try to separate from it and this is his the, the book is his version of doing that. That's why she's so terrifying because addiction is terrifying. It's very difficult to get away from addiction. The fact that it works uh, as a metaphor, that it was written as a metaphor for cocaine, but it also works as a metaphor for um, obsessed fans, um, shows that it has a broader appeal. But this, uh, is this or is The Shining his most famous, uh, the most famous movie based on Stephen King books? um i mean honestly i think there's like a top three um well yeah maybe top five top five i'd say because you got sure. misery the shining carrie um cujo and uh christine cool that's his horror ones but also um shawshank redemption yes that was um, his and i think that's extremely famous still yes um so if we're going just overall movies based on his books that are just famous, um, did he, what, is The Last Castle a book by him? Uh, I'm not sure. But I don't think that was that popular. Um, let me see. So you might be right. Shawshank Redemption and The Shining might be the two biggest. Anywho, it's totally um, off topic. My the favorite topic part, is hard to watch. Yeah. So it's hard to talk about. Yeah. Uh, he break, she breaks his legs. She does. Fuck, it's going on. As soon as that happened, I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> I'm like, I get the rest of this horror movie. But like, no, though. <laughs> but no. 
<laughs> I can just picture you watching it and like curling up and like, ah! <laughs> yeah, as soon as that scene, I'm, like the rest of it, I'm like, this is pretty damn good. As soon as that saying came on, I'm like, I'm never watching this again. <laughs> the thing is that she's so creepy when she's like stalking close to him. And like James Caan does a pretty good job in that movie. Yeah, he um like all the focus is on Kathy Bates, mm-hmm. but he is really good. He's really yep. good playing off her, but I the main reason that she is um so memorable is because he's allowing himself to just be in her shadow. Yeah. Like he knows his part well, which is to be the other guy. He's honestly he's like Neo in the Matrix in that like he's the clean slate that we that allows us to imprint ourselves in his position. That's probably why I felt my legs being broken. Yeah. That's why it worked so well. Because we were like, ah, this is happening to me. I don't want to do it. Stop it. Um, my parents said that this was their first date. Explained so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much explained in that one sentence. I was raised by weirdos. I mean, your words. So <laughs> <laughs> theirs. What's your, what's your next movie? Uh, so yeah, watch it if you haven't. Uh, there's a movie called uh, about Vincent van Gogh. Or Van Gogh. Yeah, it's Van Gogh. But okay. um, called Loving Vincent. Okay. And out of all of them, uh, out of the three, and that one Doctor Who episode, this one's the best because it's because of the animation. Who am I kidding? The the script is like on par with the rest of the Vincent Van Gogh movies. This one has got the the gimmick which works really well, which is animated. Uh, by painting in Vincent van Gogh's style. So the whole thing is animated? Yeah, it's an animated movie, but it's animated with paintings. And it took like five years and a team of like 100 animators to animate because they hand-painted the entire thing. Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. It's really pretty. It's really pretty, and I highly recommend everyone watch it once and then never again. Okay, so why is it so difficult to watch? It's about Vincent van Gogh, and he was a miserable bastard. Still pronounced van Gogh. Um, Yeah, I mean, he cut off his own ear, so I can't imagine somebody is happy when they decide to do such a thing. So um, the the movie is about... So he wasn't... He started to get famous towards the end of his life, like the last three or four years, but he got really famous after he died. And the movie is about this, um, this man that Vincent Van Gogh wrote uh, letters to. And he went to the city after he died and was like, why the fuck is this entire, um, entire city filled with assholes? Okay. He should have been getting proper treatment. He should have been getting some actual care. He's ba- it's basically, I thought, I think it's basically um, a self-insert fanfic where the uh, director or the writer is playing this guy that is searching for what happened to Vincent van Gogh. And it shows the, uh, the end of Vincent's life, but also but Vincent van, Vincent's life is sad, so it's, it makes you feel bad. And I'm like, oh, no, I also like you. <laughs> Come back. That and you does to sound like- hard to watch. Yeah, and it's a tragedy because, like, you know how it ends. Interesting. So it's essentially, like, them saying, hey, didn't have to happen like this. 
exactly. He could have been alive long enough to see himself become famous. But yes. no, he died. Life is miserable. 65,000 frames um, painted in, um, of the film uh, is an oil painting hand-painted by 125 professional oil painters who traveled from all across the world um, to the loving Vincent um, studio in Poland and Greece uh, to be part of the production. So basically this is, an, this is a pretty good Vincent van Gogh movie that is sold entirely on the gimmick, but it's really good. Um, it's good beyond that. But, uh, but seeing the, um, the animation with the painting is the reason that people went to see it. It's the reason that it became popular. So they lured you in with the beautiful artistry of it and then just slapped your emotions around for an hour and a half and made you cry. Yep. Okay. So it worked perfectly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I went in there knowing. I knew it. I got it. Fuck you. Don't do that again. Alrighty. But so you've seen people, it one time. I've seen it once. And like, I'm good. I saw, I saw the beautiful animation and I felt sad. You win, you <laughs> bastards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about on that one? It just, it's just so pretty. Like I can't emphasize enough how pretty this is. If you so it's are tragically pretty, it, yeah, it's very pretty. The 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 scene where he cuts off his ear is painted wonderfully. But like, fuck you. All right. Uh, it's really good though. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, next one is 1984. Okay. Holy shit, man! I find that movie difficult to watch just because of the color palette. I mean, it's me- it, it is designed for you not to want to watch it. It's yeah, like, I mean, yeah, the book feel was designed for you not to want to live it. We didn't learn that lesson, did we? It's, oh, uh, it's just not good at all. I love it so much. See, this is what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. You and your weirdness, man. It, it doesn't, it, okay, so this is the, um, so John Hurt, um, is the star of um, of George Orwell's um, of George Orwell's 1984, and it's just like he's just trying. Man, the entire the entire world is literally against him, and it's just it's just so so miserable. <laughs> the, the you have this is where Big Brother comes from, mm-hmm. and Big Brother is watching you, and they made mm-hmm. a reality show on it, and like I'm like. The fact that you saw and, 1984 you know, made and then made it a reality show yeah. shows how far we've come. Well, I mean, how far we went in the direction toward making it a reality, because you could technically think that, like, like for example, um, what's that one, that clause? Oh, it's got one word, and I can't remember it right now, but people will know what I mean. The, um, the clause that they're trying to put into, uh, into a bill that is going to allow or perhaps even require um, companies, tech companies to create a backdoor for agencies like the CIA, NSA, and FBI to be able to access all of your information, anything that you do online. 
so this that they can like the only... find you whenever they want to. I mean, that's essentially a cybernetic version of Big Brother in real yep. life. That's a real thing. So that's no fun. one, not many people predicted the uh, the internet, but people predicted stuff that would happen on the internet. Yeah, yeah. So basically, television. I think what happened was like the heads of like NSA and such were like, hey, we can use the internet as a tool to make 1984 a real thing. And then it's like no one actually saw the movie. They just and heard about it. And I was like, that's a good idea. Yeah. Or, you know, they read the book and they were like, that's a brilliant idea. Because they're on the, the team. They are the big brother. So, yep. So fun. That's, I see now why you said the depression fest. Because this is fucking terrifying. Yeah. And the, it's all, um, it's all propaganda and whatever. I mean, and, like our cable news. That's yeah. So they predicted, is. you know, you know, it, it's it's not great. It's getting worse. Uh, so nineteen eighty four is gr- is great. Um, never want to watch it again. But you know what? I do want to watch again. V for Vendetta, because you know what yes! nineteen eighty four needs? Batman. It, what? <sighs> he's not Batman. But I okay, mean, sure. He kind of is. He's he's not, the. He's not rich. Like Batman is rich. But if Batman was a poor murderer. <laughs> that took a second for the visuals to kick in um <laughs> so on a, on a cartoon or, or the um the animated um justice league the animated series there is a scene where like wonder woman is trying to she's essentially like soft hitting on batman and he was like no he just like shuts it down immediately and she was like why oh i know you think it's the whole like anybody who gets to know you is going to be in danger she's like i'm fucking wonder woman like (laughs) like (laughs) i can handle myself and then um my favorite scene my favorite moment was when he absolutely defines batman he looks at her and he goes you're a princess i'm a rich kid with daddy issues (laughs) oh my god <laughs> that is Batman. <laughs> like he is so self-aware. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. <laughs> so to me, like anytime somebody tries to define Batman, I'm like, no, <laughs> that's Batman. <laughs> He's a rich kid with daddy issues. <laughs> Clever. It's like um, oh. it's like in uh Lego Bat, the Lego Batman movie. Um, he's like um, there's a I think it's um, I think it's Barbara Gordon who who's like um. We dress up and we punch poor people. It's good. Yeah, Some, uh, that's um, also true. 1984 is a tragedy. But uh, John Hurt was like, what if I was the villain in that? And I thought, and then Batman was also there. And then they made V for Vendetta. Holy shit, v- John Hurt's in V for Vendetta. I did not even remember that until, because he's the villain. Yeah, he's the villain. And he, that's, that's where, that's my main link. And then I'm like, oh my God, this is 1984 with Batman. Yeah, so John Hurt plays the villain in V for Vendetta because he's like, 94, that's a good idea. Let's do that. But like, more cheerful. You know what? You could actually, because like you showed me something yesterday. I don't pay attention to like British actors at all, apparently, because like if you show me them in a movie that is like fairly famous and you're like, who's that guy? I'm like, I don't fucking know. But then you like show me a movie from like an American movie from like 10 years ago. I'm like, oh, him. <laughs> yeah so the guy from the great escape was also in jurassic park yeah and, and he like, showed me his picture i'm like cool. i don't know who the hell it is <laughs> I, I got nothing <laughs> yeah uh 1984 
is is tragic. But if I want to watch 1984 again, I'll just watch V for Vendetta. Well, because it's less tragic. Because yeah. at least that has a happy ending, and it doesn't make you want to kill yourself. Yeah, and um, so, and yeah. V is a great anti-hero or a regular hero. I don't know how anti-heroes work. Um, v is an anti-hero. Okay. Um, what is an anti-hero? An anti-hero. Okay, so a hero is a person who is like selfless they're out to save other people think captain america okay mm-hmm. his entire essence is to save people he's he's a good man with morals and ethics and all of that right right An anti-hero is someone like magneto who is doing something he may do bad things but for good reasons or he may have he may do good things but for bad reasons meaning he doesn't have the morals of a hero so you can't call him a hero but he's not in not necessarily a villain so magneto originally started out as straight up a villain but even if you look at his tendencies like his whole thing in the comics was that he um he he saw he and charles xavier both saw how humankind were going to react to mutants in the future and they tried to stop it in their own ways um, the way Charles saw it was mutants have to be nice to humans so that they don't genocide us. And the way Magneto saw it was humans are assholes. They're going to try to genocide us. Let's do it first. I mean, so, but his, his, they both look, they're both seeing the exact same problem, but they both have, it's like one is a pessimistic view. One is an optimistic view. So the way Charles Xavier goes at it is to try to, basically kiss humans asses and like be like hey let's cohabitate we can all live together whereas magneto who came from the holocaust was like no that's not possible we're they're gonna scapegoat us and they're gonna try to kill us so at first he was just like let's just live let's just you know go off and and like take over an island and live there by ourselves but then he was like nah these assholes are gonna come like they're just gonna send nuclear weapons so fuck them let's just take them out so, but I mean, his 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 wrong. intention was good, and that he was trying to save mutants. But he's still a villain because he's willing to kill people to do it. Okay. So that's the difference between an antihero. V is definitely an antihero because he's willing to literally blow up buildings. And before he does any of this, he starts by killing all the people involved in his uh, situation. And he does it when, like, it's twenty years later. They've all made, you know, been made rich and everything. Oh my God, V for Vendetta is a documentary. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, I was like, because as I'm saying, like, oh, it's years later and they've all made money. I'm like, that's literally what the congressman did. In the- Whatever. Um, <laughs> so he went. He's going after them when they're vulnerable, not in the moment of doing something. Like a hero only kills in the act of war. Like there's an actual battle and he's got to kill to save people. But uh, an anti-hero will kill sometimes to start the war, but they'll they'll just kill regardless of the situation. Like they're like, "You're bad. I'm taking you out." In that way, you can say technically Wonder Woman is an anti-hero because she has no qualms killing bitches. Anywho, That's okay. So yeah, 1984 is terrible, and um, and let's just try not to draw too many parallels with today, so that uh, I can make so- it to the next podcast. This isn't an easy list to get through, but... Oh, it's going to be so simple. Yeah, no problem. We're managing it. Yeah. Well, you also live in Australia, so a little easier for you. I mean, at least with this, it helps. But, like, we still have people 
that uh, the government still wants to watch what we do online and we don't have net neutrality. We have so many other laws that, um, that basically make net neutrality irrelevant. Oh, so for a second there, you're going to make me feel better, but then you were like, nah. You don't have net neutrality anymore? Oh, um, that's a shame. You know, we, moving on. Uh, what's your next movie? Uh, my next movie is like, I, I knew it would be bad when I first started it, and I knew what it was about, but like, damn, dude. Uh, it's called Ikiru. Is this a cartoon? I feel like this is an animated movie. Uh, no, it's directed by uh, Akira Kurosawa. Oh, it's an Akira. Okay, never mind. Uh, made in 1952. It's, uh, it's, so this uh, in Japan, I guess, uh, at least in the 50s, I don't know about now, um, they didn't want to tell um, Ikira that he was going to die, but he overheard it. And so he knows that he's going to die in like a month or a year. I'm not sure when that he has a time limit on his life. And he's, and he is like, I've been a miserable bastard my entire life. How am I going to make a legacy happen? So he um, tries his best to redeem himself in like a month. Hmm. And it's, it's tragic, but there's a, there's a sense of hope. And I do want to watch it again, but like, I want to watch everything else first. Um, I love that. But I want to watch everything else first. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a poster of him on a swing, which is um, where it's raining. Yeah, yeah. Where it's a it's a symbol of what he um, wants to do and what he wants to build for the community. And he spends the entire movie going through legislation in order to make it so that this horrible thing is destroyed and a park is built instead a symbol of renewing and youth um towards the end of his life and it is like all akira uh, kurosawa films fucking miserable <laughs> so yeah fun fun so it's so easy to watch mm. it is sad but like it's sad but has a tinge of hopefulness so it's not as hard to watch as uh, other movies on this list, I think 1984 is the hardest to watch, but this is the best one. It's just the best made. It is really fucking good. It's slow. It's methodical. Uh, it has amazing shots. It's patient. Hmm. And a lot of modern movies aren't patient. They're just going to the next thing, to the next thing, and the next thing. But like the great thing with old films and um, is that the good ones, at least, have this sense of like, pacing that it's like we're not in a rush we're allowing you to experience this guy's emotions oh this guy's miser is miserable well you're gonna feel miserable i'm like thanks i guess <laughs> he's uh kirikurosara is great i could do an entire episode on him indeed and you shall next year yes this year it's actors next year it might be directors yeah well actors and actresses because it's uh, yeah mainly. performers indeed um so yeah uh, so, so that's uh, so Ikiru is a movie that I don't want to watch again, but I want to watch everything else he's ever done. <laughs> um, but I mean, that you know, Akira Kurosawa, his films aren't upbeat. <laughs> so you could pretty much be like, like his whole list could just be like, so here's the next Akira Kurosawa film on our list. <laughs> like, he's not a happy dude. Like, it's just kind of the way. But I mean, then again, like, it this was the 50s. 
and he's in Japan, which, you know, Japan in the 50s wasn't a happy place to be in. You know, there was that whole, we just bombed him to shit thing. So that's kind so of depressing. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's part of why he feels guilty. I think Ikiru had something to do with that. I'm not sure entirely why he feels guilt, but he feels guilt and he's trying to redeem himself before he dies. And I'm like, oh, so like, Kira, is there anything, is there anything you want to talk about? Any, anything? Are you okay, dude? Like you make good art, but are you okay? Yeah, I'm going to go with no. Um, uh, probably not. But he's, mo- his movies are like a requirement for any film student. Yeah. Um, I, I start with uh, like Seven Samurai. And also, I think it's Seven Samurai that um, is the is Seven Samurai is part of the uh, the influence for Star Wars. So you thought we were going to get through this day without mentioning Star Wars? Ah, I was, you brought I was up mainly Kira hoping. You, you brought up Akira Kurosawa. That was my end. Mm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the Jedi robes are like the mm-hmm. robes the samurai wore, and uh, lightsabers are just space katana swords. I mean, I respect the hustle. <laughs> I mean, you did it. Yeah. So does you he don't... die in the movie? I think like at the he end? brought up Star Wars. But yeah. I uh, uh, the last shot is him on the swing. We don't need to see him die. We know that he will. The last, okay. sh- I think the last shot is him on the swing, or the him walking away from the swing. It's okay. one of those, and it's like it. W- it ends on the note of he's made his legacy. Kids okay, will so use this. Yeah, kids will use this park for generations. Hooray! I'm gonna go and die now. Okay. And I'm like. Talk about bittersweet, you bastard. So um, apparently the US version is called To Live, which is interesting. Did they like I, did you I guys change the and, title? Huh? Did you change the title when it was came to the US? Yeah. Um, because like I look up Akiru movie and it was like to live. I'm like, uh sure. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. it might not be his name, it might just be to live, but in Japanese. Let me check. Uh, Ikiru I don't know. Yeah, apparently Akiru means to live. That's what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, okay. So his name, so uh, Akiru is to live and his name is Kanji uh, Watanabe, but pronounced well. <laughs> Kanji Watanabe. Thank you. See, pronounced like that. Not the way I did it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so mm-hmm. his name, th- I'm glad that we sorted that out. So his name <laughs> isn't Akira. His, uh, Akira means to live. Um, but Kanji is uh, is his name, but you know pronounced properly, um, and he it's fucking sad and tragic. And I'm like, cool, thanks for that. It's really good though. Like it's fucking great. I will see if I can check it out because I have not uh, seen it. It is on where is it? I saw it on streaming. No, I didn't. It's on Google Movies, Google Play Movies. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Your yeah, list. for me, it's on a bunch of different platforms, but I have to pay for it. Yay. Damn capitalist. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'll check it out. It looks, it, it sounds, it sounds uh, nicely depressing, but like, yeah. but this one doesn't sound so depressing because at least like, it sounds like it's a search for, for a purpose, like a, for internal purpose. And then he finds it. Yeah. He finds internal purpose, which is why it's not as hard to watch as say, uh, 1984 which is the saddest but i'm like yeah fuck that i want the, i want ikiru as my number one 
I don't Dude, want to make it's not only difficult to watch, it's difficult to talk about. That's how yeah. fucking bad that is. Yeah, 1984 is like, is a prophecy. It's depression fest. And the, the sad fact- thing is, it's one of these, mo- it's, it's, a, it's a movie slash book that is, it's so universal that like, you're in Australia, I'm in the US, and we can both see how this is actually playing out in real time hundred years later like what the shit like no don't do that uh-huh and the and just to do the connection between v for vendetta and 1984 more if you look up the poster for 1984 it has a fucking v on it yeah i saw that the v in 1984 yeah and also the um there's another there uh, there are a lot of posters basically when they made v for vendetta they went back and looked at the posters for 1984 and just took out the, the number and did that because uh, like there's a V, like you said, and also there's um, the two hands crossed, and um, there's a poster that looks like a really like communist kind of poster with the word ni- number 1984 at the bottom, and that is almost identical to a poster from V for Vendetta. So yeah, they knew the parallels when they made it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was fun. What's your list? Oh, is that it for you? Uh, for now, if we have time, I'll go and do my 10 through 6. Okay. Um, my number one is Hard Candy. You told me about this. Yes. And I didn't see it because of, you know, the fact that it was hard to watch. Bastard. Okay, so this is like the third time I've brought this movie up, and I want to talk about it, but it's the kind of movie where it's better if you see it without knowing what's going on, but you won't fucking watch it. I mean, so, look at that poster. She's in a bear trap. That's, yes, but she's the trap. That's great. Uh, okay. Fuck it. You've taken me to the edge. I'm telling you about the damn movie anyway. That's fine. It's um. So there's this girl who's um 14, and she lures a grown man into um. I want to say it's Patrick Wilson. Um she lures him into meeting her and they meet um he i think he goes they go to his house because they so i don't remember how she gets him somehow he and they they end up at his his house because i don't don't remember that part because the craziness happens at the house Uh, remember when i was saying like it's similar to knock knock yeah um it's kind of like that wherein like a 14 year old attracts a grown man okay um so she like gets him to go to his house she makes some drinks and um he kind of blacks out and when he comes to she has him bound up oh. and through the whole movie it's like take misery but instead of like all of, so take like the character from misery but turn her into a 14 year old girl okay oh that's fun and make her like instead of being obsessed with the guy like she like you will stay with me instead of that it's like she's like a detective like trying to find something and she just keeps coming back to fuck with them while she's searching his house and um so she threatens to castrate him (laughs) and she sets everything up i mean like she lays it out and (laughs) she's she's trying to get him to um to admit to something and she's also trying to find evidence i mean considering Uh, that she uh trapped him by lure by convincing him to take her to his house and then gives him 14 and then sets up alcoholic beverages she doesn't drink it he does and then he you know 
I mean, I can guess what she's trying to entrap him with. Yeah. And, uh, and you're right. And, um, but it gets worse though, because you're thinking like, oh, he's a pedophile. Like she's, well, at first you're kind of like, okay, yeah, this dude's definitely a creep, but is he actually a pedophile? Because you you haven't seen him do anything. Right. And it's just Mm -hmm. this human nature to be like, let's give you the benefit of doubt before we go straight to atrocities. Right. Like we don't want to immediately, just because you have a 14 year old in your house, we don't want to immediately be like, oh, you're a pedophile rapist and a murderer. I mean, no, you're a pedophile, a rapist, and a murderer, and I'm going to make you fucking confess, and I'm going to find this shit. And, um, and, and so for a while, like, the way the narrative goes, you think, like, okay, he's definitely a creep. Is he a pedophile, a murderer, and a rapist? And, and then you're like, okay, I think he actually is a pedophile. And so, cause it, like, because she's 14, you have this image of, like, and she's also doing, like, horrific things. So you're like, oh, why is she doing that? And then, and then she's like, like, I know you did it. And, and she's like, it's a weird, it's a weird fucked up, like cat and mouse game where you're constantly like, you feel, you cut, you feel empathy for him because you're like, oh, she's torturing him. And then, and she's like, no, like, you're gonna, like, I'm, I'm gonna out you basically. Um, and then you discover at the end that she was right. <laughs> and that, and also, um, so she sets it up because she's supposed to castrate him, right? right. Um, but she doesn't, you find out at the end that she didn't actually castrate him. He thinks that she does because I think what she does is she like takes rubber rubber bands and like puts it around his balls to make him think that he did, that she castrated him. So it just like hurt a lot. So he thought that like he lost them. Um, this is what I mean. Like it's a very difficult movie to watch. Yeah. It's not like just a stroll through the park because the themes are terrible. And then when you find out later what he actually did, it was like, oh, and then like there, um, he ends up freeing himself and he comes after her and she ends up at the roof. It's just, it's a whole, it's very hard to watch, man. Cause it's also, it becomes a thriller for a while. Cause by then you're on her side and you're like, he's a monster and now he's free and he's a grown man and she's just a kid. And you're like, oh, and so it's, it's a, uh, fucked up man but at least you have the you have the um the thought that like all the crazy shit that she was threatening to do is it's justified because he actually is a rapist and a pedophile and a murderer so um but he's the good version of knock knock like you said before yeah because it's yeah so um or he he claims that he didn't do it but he watched somebody else kill the girl so there, there was like a girl um specifically that she's i guess she was friends with her and so she decided to go after this dude um so yeah she searches this i'm just gonna read the thing uh so uh when jeff wakes he's bound to a chair Haley explains she's been tracking him and drugged him because she knows he's a pedophile rapist and murderer he denies it um claiming he had innocent intentions with a 14 year old sure um so she searches his house finds his gun and safe in the safe she finds his sick pictures and a photo of Donna, a local girl who's been kidnapped and remains missing. He denies involvement. Um, and then she um, asphyxiates him with a plastic with plastic wrap. Uh, when he wakes up again, so he keeps like things will happen and like black out and wake up, and then he'll be in more like more peril. Um, when he wakes up, he finds himself bound to a steel table with a bag of ice on his genitals. She explains she will castrate him and threaten and um, he threatens her, bribes her, and sweet talks her to try to dissuade her. When that doesn't work, he tries to get her sympathy by telling her he was abused as a child. And 
Following the supposed operation, which he does not feel due to ice numbing his genitals, Haley leaves the kitchen, claiming to take a shower. He struggles and frees himself. When he reluctantly checks the site of the operation, he realizes he's actually unharmed, and she elaborately faked his castration. He storms off in a rage to get her. Uh, to, he storms off in a rage to get her in the bathroom where the shower is running. Scalpel in hand, he attacks only to find the shower empty. She attacks him from behind. They struggle. She incapacitates him with stun gun. And then, so that's what I mean. Like, there's constantly this like cat and mouse. She's she's a very very smart fourteen year old because he is a grown man and she is able to incapacitate him multiple times in this movie. If your and, plan is to take down a pedophile murderer, you better yes. be clever. Yeah, and and but even and he keeps getting like he'll get free and then she can still take him down again. And so it's it's a crazy like I said it's like knock knock but like with a better premise and ending and it's just a man better movie but it's still really fucking hard to watch because the in those that, moments like you're in you you're it's a very tense situation where you're like oh my god she got off his balls because you actually think she did it and but she didn't and it's, the, it, yeah, it, it sounds horrifying it's rated r which like nothing's rated r here <laughs> yeah it's um so it's uh, all right i will yeah. I might watch it. You're not going to watch it. I don't know. This list is hard for, to recommend to people. <laughs> okay. Moving on to the next cringe fest. Another one that is like, but why though? Um, <laughs> it's called Perfume, the Story of a Murderer. It is the first, like the first movie that pops in my head when you say hard to watch is hard candy. And the second movie is Perfume, the Story of a Murderer because it's such a good movie. What you're like, god damn man like when you watch it you're like but for real though so um uh okay the short version is there's this dude that's obsessed with smell and he wants to create a perfume and oh the way he goes about it is the terrifying part and it's just oh man okay so um how do i I'm just going to read it because it's too, it's so weird. Okay. So it's the story. <laughs> bless you. Thanks. Um, it's told him, the story of his life told in flashback of uh, Jean-Baptiste Grinla, beginning with his abandonment at birth in the French fish market, raised in an orphanage. He grows into a strangely detached boy with a superhuman sense of smell. After growing to maturity as a tanner's apprentice, he makes his first delivery to Paris where he reveals, where he revels in all new scents, focused on a redheaded girl selling yellow plums, allowing, um, following her and repeatedly attempting to sniff her, but yeah. startles her with his behavior. To prevent her from crying out, he covers the girl's mouth and unintentionally suffocates her. This is the beginning, okay? All right. This is all act one. <laughs> all right. I'm after, sensing some Sweeney Todd bullshit going on. After but realizing that she's dead, he strips her body naked and smells her all over, becoming distraught when her scent fades. Afterwards, he's haunted by the desire to recreate her aroma. After making a delivery to a perfume shop, he amazes um, the Italian owner, Giuseppe, with his ability to identify and create fragrances. Holy shit. Re yeah, it's going where you think it is. Have he you seen Sweeney Todd? No. Imagine that, but with pies. Okay. Um, he revitalizes the perfumist's career with new formulas, demanding only that he teach him how to preserve scents. I think you can see where this is going. 
Yep. Um, he explains that all perfumes are harmonies of 12 individual scents. You, you getting the picture now? Okay. Yep. And may contain a theoretical 13th scent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Stage is set. All right. <laughs> um, he um, continues working for him, but is saddened when he learns that his method of distillation will not capture the scent of all objects. Keep the word objects oh, in mind there. Okay. Fun. Yeah. So um, he's informed of another method that can be learned in grass and agrees to help him by providing the journeyman papers, blah, blah, blah. He ends up going there. Um, so he gets to grass. Um, he decides to exile himself from society, taking refuge in a cave. During this time, he discovers that he lacks any personal scent himself and believes this is why he's perceived as strange or disturbing by others. Deciding to continue his quest, he leaves his cave and continues to grass. Uh, when he gets there, he catches the scent of Laura, um, the beautiful redheaded daughter, he's got a thing for redheads, um, of Alan Rickman. I'm just going to say Alan Rickman because we all know who the hell Alan Rickman is. Um, yes. And he decides that she will be his 13th scent, the linchpin of his perfume. He finds a job in grass and uh, learns a method of enfleurage which is a process that uses odorless fats that are at solid at room temperature to capture the fragrant compounds um, excluded. He kills a young lavender picker and attempts to extract her scent using the method of hot enfleurage, which fails. By the way, we see this. <laughs> um, cool. After this, he attempts the method of cold enfleurage on a prostitute he hired, but she becomes alarmed and tries to throw him out. He murders her and successfully preserves the scent of the woman. He, um, he embarks on a killing spree, targeting beautiful young women and capturing their scents using his perfected method. He dumps the women's naked corpses around the city, creating panic. After preserving his first 12 scents, he plans his attack on Laura. During a church sermon denouncing and excommunicating the murderer, it is announced that a man has confessed to the murders. Um, he remains unconvinced, uh, the, so this guy uh, who's like trying to find him, remains unconvinced and secretly flees the city with his daughter, uh, telling no one of their decision. He is able to track, down, track her down by scent and sneaks into her room that night, murdering her. Soldiers capture him moments after he finishes preparing, preparing his perfume. On the day of his execution, he applies the perfume on himself, forcing the jailers to release him. The executioner and the crowd in attendance are speechless at the beauty of the perfume. They declare him innocent before falling into a massive orgy. What the fuck is that ending? Alan Rickman is still convinced of his guilt and threatens him with his own sword, but then he is overwhelmed by the scent and embraces him as his son. What? Walking out of grass unscathed, Grignard has enough perfume to rule the world, but has discovered <laughs> that it will not allow him to love or be loved like a normal person. Disenchanted by his aimless quest, he returns to the Parisian fish market where he was born, and pours the remaining perfume all over his head. Overcome by the scent and the belief that he is an angel, the, crowd, the nearby crowd devours him. The next morning, all that is left are his clothes and the empty <laughs> bottle from which one final drop of perfume falls. I have so many questions. I love how you thought that like the orgy was the end. <laughs> I have so many questions about everything that's going on. Oh, yes, go ahead. <laughs> First of all, as you're talking, I bought the DVD. Of course, because it's you. I mean, yeah. Uh, as you're talking, I'm like, it's for five bucks, I'm in. <laughs> um, secondly, explain the whole thing again. 
Because this what was... the hell was that ending? <laughs> what happened? Um, what so, happened so, was... So there's a magic perfume that he makes from the from people, from the girls he murdered. Right. Cool. So uh, have you seen Sweeney Todd? Do you know about Sweeney Todd? I've, I know of it. I haven't seen it because I really can't stand the director. So forget the Tim, uh, forget the, the, the uh, 2005 version with, um, with what's Depp? his name? Yeah, with Johnny Depp and the other guy. Forget that. There's a okay. 1980s play that, is, um, that was recorded. It's a stage musical. Uh, you should watch that version. Not only, okay. not only does it not have Johnny Depp or the other guy, his name I forget. I mean, you know it. Uh, do I? Yeah, the, uh, the director. Oh, Tim Burton. Yeah, I was going to say Tim Curry, and I'm like, it's not Tim Curry. No. Um, so Tim Burton directed it. It's actually really good as an adaption um, because they turned it from being mostly a comedy to mostly a horror part comedy. Um, but it's, uh, it's, uh, but there's uh, a 1982 stage musical, which is a lot better. So okay. it's way more straightforward than whatever the fuck you just said. <laughs> okay. But the, the basics are the same. So there's um, this uh, Sweeney Todd is a former barber who was framed for a murder because he, this pedophile priest wanted to marry who's a judge or a priest. He's both. He's definitely a judge. He might also be a priest. I don't know. So this judge called Judge Turpin wants to, um, is obsessed with um, Sweeney Todd's wife and then his daughter. And I'm like, he, she is 15. You can, you can go to hell. And then, um, so Sweeney Todd comes back because he escaped from the prison and he comes back to London and he's like, oh, well, my plan didn't work because this jackass uh, walked in as I was singing with Judge Turpin, so like, fuck you. I was right in the middle of about to kill him, but I was too busy singing. Um, okay. So, so he's like, well, if I can't get to him because he's never coming back, I might as well just kill everyone else. So he oh, does. that's nice of him. He kills a he kills like a bunch of people that um come, they come for a shave and uh, he kills them and turns them into and then Mrs. Lovett turns them into pies. So she runs a very successful. Um, pie shop and then since he only kills uh, people that won't be missed uh, Sweetie Todd runs a very successful barber shop and okay, that really part good having reminds a lot of me of fried green tomatoes yeah yeah because there's a scene there's a part of fried green tomatoes where there's this guy that goes missing and nobody can find the body and all they will say is secrets in the sauce oh yeah so apparently there's a lot of movies about People being murdered and then eaten or consumed in some or, way, or you know, or used as a made into a perfume. Yeah, so like, so that's fun. But like Sweeney Todd, <laughs> Sweeney Todd is actually funny. It's a it's a gothic comedy. Okay, uh, and I think you'll like it. Okay, but like you don't have to watch the 2005 version if you don't want to. It's not as good as the play anyway. But then again, I do like both. Okay. But if it's just the director that you're hung up on, uh, watch the 1982 play. You can find it literally anywhere. And by literally anywhere, I of course mean either a DVD or somewhere streaming. Okay. Um, well, it turns out this is also based on a, a novel of the same name, Perfume Story of a Murderer. Yeah. Um, I might get the book as well. 
You're just going it's, all in. It sounds really good. <laughs> I mean, it's a good movie. It's weird as fuck, like it is. All right. So so weird. Yeah. So I'm gonna watch that. I've already decided. Uh, we'll, we'll come. We'll get back to this later. What's I can't believe one? you bought it while I was telling you all the fucked up things that were happening. Like that is so you. You're like, this sounds just jacked up enough that I have to see it. Like that's just so weird. There's a there's a middle zone of like not too terrible and uh but like i still want to see it but it's like it's jacked up and i want to see it once so i wasn't going to spend like like there was ones for like 25 bucks and i'm like fuck that i'm not gonna see it once i want it for rental price and then it was like five bucks i'm in <laughs> okay uh, so yeah so my next film is half nelson okay it's tough it's a good movie not easy to watch because it's one of those uh, self-destruction films. Oh. oh. Uh, it's about Ryan Gosling, who is a teacher. Um, he's a middle school teacher in Brooklyn. And he's doing, he's like one of those teachers that like actually cares. And it's like, at first you think it's going to be like that. Like, oh, it's going to be seen, about um, what's that? What's that Robin Williams movie? There are a lot of them. That that he's a teacher and it, it's dramatic. Um, uh, and they all stand on tables. Oh, uh, I wanted to say school ties, but that's not it. Um, the I Captain My Captain one. Yeah, the I yeah, it's I Captain My Captain. Yeah, that, that's not the name of the movie, but um, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that one. Um, it's no, you but you think you think this is going to be more along the lines of like Dangerous Minds, maybe where like oh here's a white dude in like a poor neighborhood and he's going to help all these poor kids. But no, that's not how it goes. Um, Dead Poets Society. What was it? Dead Poets Society. Yes, Dead Poets Society, indeed. Uh, no, you don't okay. think it's going to be like that. Um, cool. You think it's going to be more along the lines of like, uh, of like Dangerous Minds. Um, or, um, or the, I can't remember it. Anyway, the one with the, what's her name? What was the thing? Let's go. Um, anywho, but then, it turns out no, because in so in the classroom he's like this rock star of a teacher, right? But then in his real life he does coke. He's a cocaine addict. Oh fuck! Right? Um, and he's got like his just his personal life is just a wreck. And it's like ah, oh, if you could just not do that, you'd be good. But it he's not. I mean, he wouldn't be good. His life is a wreck. But he's such a great teacher. It's like ah. Oh. And one of his students finds him getting high in the locker room. And um, the kid also has a shit life. And so it's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's along the lines of uncut gems where it's just like, ah, no, don't do that. Don't go the other way. Go the other way. And it puts you like in his position. Um, so like, okay, let me see. Let me see if I can uh as he develops a better understanding for each other's friends um so he becomes he befriends the girl who caught him getting high and because mm -hmm. she's just like what the hell are you doing <laughs> and um she's got a shit life too and so the two of them kind of become friends but it's just it's it's so hard to watch like i'll put it to you this way this movie came out in 2006 i saw it then and it came out on like dvd like the next year right Right. I saw it. Did I see it? In, actually, no. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it when it came out on DVD, and I bought the DVD, and then I've never watched it again because it's so. It's just it's a it's a good movie, but it's not easy to watch. 
um because it doesn't end with like this like oh everything's fine everything's awesome because their lives were shit which is why they were why he was like doing the drugs so is their lives are still shit <laughs> at the end it's that it doesn't, doesn't is there a sense that after the movie uh he he's going to improve does he like start rehab or whatever and it's like i can improve after the credits roll uh you can you, it kind it, it ends with like it kind of but not really because like i said because it's okay so i'll just read you how it ends right okay da- I, I th- his name is dan oh fine. um dan goes to his parents house for dinner he says little does not enjoy himself much but j- a joke makes him laugh the same night dre is dre's the girl okay um dre okay. is out with frank dealing dealing drugs okay um in the film's pinnacle scene dre arrives at a place to deliver some drugs and walks into a room of stone drug users dan is revealed to be the buyer he walks out of the back room and slumps down in the sight of gray as the drug runner there's only a slight shameful nod from him as he hands her money for the drugs the next day he's not at school and his students are told that he's being replaced by mr light without much explanation this changes something within Dre. She refuses a lift home from Frank, chooses to turn from that path. Um, so the good thing is, she is like, okay, I'm not going to be a drug runner anymore. Okay, that's good. But he's, like I said, their lives are still shit. Um, she knocks on Dan's door and he answers. He goes into the bathroom, shaves and cleans himself up. Before sitting down to drink a glass of water, Dre sits down and joins him. The film ends with Dan telling the same joke he heard from Cindy, but the timing is all wrong. Dre says that was horrible and they both laugh. So that's what I mean. Like, it maybe he's going to clean himself up, but he got fired because okay, of his so, drug thing. But she, it's it's somewhat so, better because she is making a decision to not be a drug dealer anymore because she saw her teacher got fired from doing drugs. So she's like, okay, no. But then he, like, he, his life is still shit, in other words. That's what I mean. So like, his life is terrible, but the the change is with her. He's a reflection of, he, he is what she could should could become if she doesn't stop dealing drugs. So there's a sense that her life could improve. No, she's, okay, so it's not quite that because she, there's a drug dealer who's played by Anthony Mackie. He's what she would become if she kept dealing drugs. Um... Dan is just, she sees him as his life is like pathetic and she knows that he's a better guy than this and, and he deserves better. So she doesn't want to be responsible for create, for yes. help, having people like Dan be miserable. Yes. So, okay. yeah. So basically the best part of it is that he's kind of like an example of what not to be. That sounds like a bittersweet ending. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm like, their lives are still shit. It's not... There's no, like, he goes to rehab, you know, happy ending. Like, no, he he got fired. Like, it's not it's not a happy ending, but at least she has a brighter future. But, like, you don't know where his is going to end. It's, so it's kind of, that's what I'm, like, saying. Like, it's hard to watch. That's, mm. that's the definition of hard to watch. Sounds hard to watch. Yeah. Um, it reminds I me of another. I might watch it. What? I might watch it. I don't know. It's a good movie, but it's Watching it's self-destruction is, isn't great fun. But yet you want to... Okay, see, I kind of... But I haven't with... seen Uncut Gems. I'm like, I want to watch it. It sounds interesting. But, like, I haven't, though. I know, but I... That's the thing. That's why I want to spoil it for you. I want to tell you what happens because it is not some sh- sunshine and fucking rainbows fest. It is a depressing fest. Well, I already know that. But you can spoil Uncut Gems if you want. I'm still going to see it. 
And oh, it's so not. See, I would put Uncut Gems on the list, but then I was like, no, because you haven't seen it. And then I'd, you know, I'd be talking about it. And oh, I haven't so seen any of these, but I'm still going to watch them. Well, some of them. One okay, of them. fuck it. I'm spoiling Uncut Gems. Thank I'm adding you. it to the list now. Yeah, add it to the um, list. Uncut Gems. Go. Okay. So it is the story of this dude, Adam Sandler. Um, he's a jeweler. And um, he, he's a jeweler in New York. Um, I'm assuming Brooklyn. I don't know. Um, and he's, he has a lot of big name clients like, um, like LeBron James and other people, like other big basketball stars and stuff. And um, he, but no, what was the dude's name? I think it was Kevin, Kevin Garnett. That's yeah. Kevin Garnett. Um, anywho, he, um, he has a family. He's got a wife and three kids and, but the kids are like teenagers and um, he also has a mistress who stays in an apartment and um, his wife and kids live in a house and he's really close with his wife's family. Uh, his wife hates him uh, mainly because he's pretty much a degenerate. He has a gambling addiction that constantly gets worse throughout the film. And when you think that his life has gotten to such a low that he's got to turn it around because like that, like you've hit rock bottom at this point, like, and rock bottom is, okay. So there's this, uh, this gem, literally the name, the, where the movie comes from, the title of the film, there's an uncut gem from Africa. Um, I think it's a Sierra Leone. They uncovered this gem and um, it has like, it's literally still like encased in earth. It has not been cut at all. And he manages to somehow get it. And um, what he does, his entire operation is a house of cards because he takes, like, he'll, um, he wears fake watches. So he's uh-huh. a jeweler, right? Like, right. has the most expensive jewelry ever, right? He wears fake watches. He sells fake watches. He will take, like, um, like Kevin Garnett had this um, necklace. or No, it was other stars, too. There are a bunch of actual stars in this movie. Um, There's Adam Sandler, Julia Fox. Um, yeah, Abel. but no, I'm talking about like the actual, like they're uh, like The Weeknd, isn't it? He beats up The Weeknd, um, which I still think The Weeknd is a stupid name for a human, but whatever. Um, he, uh, so what he does is like, like he'll get a hold of, he'll, the people around him will get a, a, some jewelry, like a big piece of jewelry from like The Weeknd, right? Or he will say, hey, let me clean that for you. We'll process it and give it to you on Monday, okay? So what he does is he takes your jewelry and he goes to a pawn shop and he gets money from pawning your jewelry. And then he takes that money and goes and gambles. Oh, that sounds like it'll end perfectly well. Right. So, um, so then sometimes he wins, sometimes he loses as gambling, right? Right. And um, when he wins, you're like, okay, you, like, you made it, you got the money. Now go get go back to the pawn shop and get the thing and then give it back to him so nobody knows, right? Right. Um, except instead, when he wins, he's like, oh, I'm on a streak. Do it again. God damn it. So he fucking gambles again and you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you're, you're screaming at the, st- at the screen, like knocking the fuck off, right? And then um, and he thinks that his wife doesn't know and that his kids don't know that he's got the girlfriend, like the mistress girlfriend in the apartment. And so what he does is he gets off work, he goes home to the wife, and the wife is like, I absolutely fucking hate you, we're totally getting a divorce. And his 
like his kids are like you know two of them don't respect him but one of them is like hey your dad you know like like a normal kid um and then one day they were at like one kid's play and he left in the middle of the play because he's got a bookie that's coming after him well it turns out that the people that are coming after him are like the thugs that are they're chasing him throughout the movie because like from the beginning of the movie they're like you said you would pay well it turns out the the bookie that hired them is his brother-in-law so yeah that's fun so he owes his like he gambled and owes his brother-in-law like thousands of dollars okay so then he gets to um he has this uncut gem that finally comes in and he's like haha this is it and he tries to, he gets it appraised and he thinks it's worth like over a million dollars, right? I think he thinks right. it's worth like $2 million or something. And so you're thinking, yes, sell that. Pay off all of your gambling debt. Pay your bills. Stop fucking gambling. Move on with your life. Then Kevin Garnett comes in and he decides for some stupid fucking reason, he decides I'm going to show this uncut gem to Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett is like, yo, let me hold this. And he was like, no, no, no. This is worth like a million dollars. So Kevin Garnett's like, yo hold this and he gives him some jewelry and so he takes the jewelry and pawns it and makes a bet and he loses and then he tries to call another bookie because you know if one bookie won't let you you call another bookie he calls another bookie places a bet he wins here's the thing okay when he calls the bookie and he's like yo let's do this i won the bookie is like yeah see here's the thing uh turns out you owe your brother-in-law and I was pretty pissed that you were going behind his back trying to make bets. So, and he's like, you didn't place the fucking bet. He's like, I couldn't place the fucking bet. So even though he won, he can't, like the bet was never placed because his brother-in-law found out that he was going through other bookies to shut that shit down. And shit. if he had won that bet, it would have had enough to actually pay his brother-in-law. So what is it? So now he can't get the, he can't get Kevin Garnett's thing out of Hawk. Not to mention like he needs, so he's um, this uncut gem He's got to send it to um, he's got to send it to like these these third party appraisers so that it can be auctioned. Well, remember he had it originally appraised because he's also an appraiser. He appraised it for like over a million dollars. They what? appraise it for like he can't get it back because Kevin Garnett's like, "Yo, it's giving me luck. I'm on a hot streak. I can't like I'm just let me buy it from you." And he was like, "No, dude. I like no. I fuck it. I got. I need the money. I have to sell this." And so he's go- running through New York, Philadelphia, all over the place. Chasing down Kevin Garnett, trying to get this so that he can get it back to the appraisers who were like, you got 10 minutes. Um, so, cause he's trying to like auction it and the auctioneers are like, it needs to be appraised or we can't put it in the auction. So he's like, give me time, give me time. So he's constantly, he's running from Peter, trying to borrow from Paul, stealing from Joe, trying to run to like, he's just, he's, it's all over the place. Right. And so he's constantly shielding phone calls and hits and this and this. At the same time, his kids have like recitals that he's missing or going to. But then while he's there, he notices that like his brother-in-law's goons are there and um, he tries to run away from them. So of course they catch him. They beat him up, strip him naked and throw him in the trunk of his own car. So he calls his wife and is like, yo, open the car for me. And then she sees him and she's just like, you're fuck up. Like I'm done with you. Like just, just leave. Um, so then of course he changes clothes and now he was in like, you know, and like go to an assembly attire and now he's wearing like a fucking jumpsuit and his kids like, now his kid that's on stage notices that he leaves halfway through 
And his other kids are like, why are you, like, why did you change clothes? Like, what the hell is going on with you? And he's just like, don't worry about it. <laughs> so um, at one point they were, while they were all out, I think it was before, no, it was, a, it was after, it was, it was uh, yeah, it was after. He's like, okay, I need to go to the apartment. So everybody knows, it turns out this isn't just like a secret apartment that he has. Everybody, his whole family knows that he owns this apartment. His wife and his daughter know what's going on, but his young son is like, hey, dad, I have to pee. And he's like, okay, you know, you'll pee when you get home. And he's like, no, we're right here. Just let me pee in the apartment. And he's like, no, because he had a girlfriend. His girlfriend's living there. And um, his girlfriend is also his employee at his, uh, at his shop. And he had gotten pissed off at her. So the incident with the weekend was, um, remember, he sent out people to get money, like to get jewels in the premise of like, oh, let me hold that. And then he goes and like, haunt, you know, pawns it and then bets and then takes the money from the bet to get it out of pawn and gives it back to him. Well, right. his girlfriend was one of those people and he had the nerve to get pissed off because he saw her in the bathroom with the weekend and the weekend did have an erection and he was trying to sleep with her, but she was saying no. They showed the whole scene. Like she was like, no, she went to the bathroom with him. But again, it's her job to like get celebrities to relax so she can get their stuff. So she, and when, every time he tried to have sex with her, she was like, no, like, I'm not, it's not like that. Like it's, we're just friends. And he happens to see them go into the bathroom. He gets to the club just in time to see that. And he break, he busts in and he sees the weekend all up over, but he didn't hear her saying no. So he gets pissed and starts like hitting up, like, beating the weekend and the weekend like pretty much beats his ass and then he gets kicked out of the club and he gets he's so pissed off that he breaks up with the girlfriend so now he has no girlfriend the wife is like get the fuck out of my life and the kid is scarred because the kid like the kid the kid is like there's no reason why i can't go to the bathroom here so he's like fine fuck it so he's like making up bullshit excuses to why he can't use the bathroom because he's not sure because at this point um the girlfriend was supposed to be out because he was just like when he broke up with her, he's like, get out of my life. Well, and, and he's like, get out of my, uh, my apartment. And, um, but he didn't fire her, which makes no fucking sense. Um, so he goes to the apartment just to check to make sure she's not there with his family in the car. And his son was like, yo, I have to go, I have to pee, let me in. So instead he was like, oh, the bathroom's down for renovation or some shit. So he knocks on the neighbor's door and was like, you know, my bathroom's unavailable. Can my son use your bathroom? And the neighbor's like, I don't know who the fuck you are and closes the door. And then the next neighbor he asked, and the ne that neighbor was like, okay, fine, come in. He gets in, uh, the kid pees. And then afterwards, like the neighbor says something about like the woman that lives there, the woman that lives in, in the apartment. Because that was remember happen. the neighbors only ever see the woman. They don't see any, like she's, she lives there. She's the only one who actually lives there. So now gig is up, kid knows dad's cheating. <laughs> so now like his whole family hates him um and he's he's broken up with the girlfriend and he got beaten up by the weekend he doesn't have any money he still owes his brother-in-law and you know he also got beaten up by the thugs that his brother-in-law sent after him and these guys are like chasing him throughout the whole movie and then finally and then oh and then when he goes to when he finally gets the uncut gem he takes it to the auction and he sees their appraisal and they appraise it for like 200,000. And he's Ugh. like, what the fuck? Right. So he kind of, he loses his shit. He acts a little crazy. And um, so finally he devises a plan. He calls his father-in-law who still loves him. 
for some fucked up reason. And his father, and he gets his father-in-law to bid on the gem. And he's like, he's like, Kevin Garnett is going to be there. He's going to bid on it. I need you to get the gem, the price of the gem above a million. Okay. And he's expecting his dad to pay a million dollars. His father-in-law. And no, he's not. He's expecting his father-in-law to inflate the price. Because remember, it's an auction. He mm-hmm. wants him to inflate the price so it goes up over a million. And then he's like, don't worry, Kevin Garnett's so going to buy it. That, um, that's not going to work. Well, it almost does because they are in a bidding war and it's mainly just the two of them. And, um, and he was like, yo, I can't be left with this bill. Like, you can't, like, I don't, I don't even fucking want this thing. Just let him have it. Just sell it to him for, the, for a million. And he's like, no, 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 no. We got to do it this way. So um, Why? Why do they have to do it that way? Why does, any, why does he keep gambling? Um, so uh, This is just a series of bad decisions. That's the whole movie. So then he gets, um, he gets, he tells Kevin Garnett it's worth like 1.2 million or whatever. And he goes to auction and he convinces his father-in-law to bid. There's a bidding war and Kevin Garnett, it seems is not, he's not stupid. He sees the appraisal and he was, and so Kevin Garnett really wants it because when he took it back, he started losing in his, his uh, basketball games. So he really wants it. But then he understands the appraisal and he realizes what's going on. So he stops bidding and his father-in-law ha- ends up having to pay for this. And he's like, don't worry, don't worry. I'll, like, you're not going to have to pay for it. I will find a way to make Kevin Garnett like, get it. Like, it's, like, don't worry. So he ends up, um, he takes, so, okay, when you auction in a high bid auction like that, you have to pay for it like right away. Yep. So he's like, I will pay you back. So he takes them, um, of course, when the auctioneer, you know, when the auction happens and you pay for it, the money goes to the person who had it. So he's going to, he got paid from his father-in-law buying it. So you're thinking, okay, take the money that your father-in-law, you know, like, just hold on to the money your father-in-law gave you and then take the uncut gem, sell it to Kevin Garnett and take the money you get from that to replace your, like, give your father-in-law the money back, take the gem basically just, you know, swap it out, take the gem, take that gem and sell it to um, Kevin Garnett to get some money back. Take the money you get from that, pay off your brother-in-law, he'll stop sending the thugs, you can pay off all the shit that you have in pawn and, you know, break even, and then stop fucking gambling. So what does he do? He gambles. He takes the money from his father-in-law and he takes the gem, or no, so... He, he gives, he takes the gem, sells it to Kevin Garnett. Now that Kevin Garnett has it again, guess what? Because remember, he went on a losing streak when he didn't have it. So now that Kevin Garnett has it again, he's like, oh, it's the playoffs. Oh, for fuck's sake. And he tells Kevin Garnett, like, Go, you know, you can do this. You, like, he gives him this whole pep talk. Like, he really fucking needed it from this little dude, right? And so he decides, like, yep. And so he calls his gamblers and his gamblers are like, no, like everybody in New York is like, you're done. We know you owe too many people. We're not going to let you do it. So his girlfriend comes back to him because she was like, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. And then when he's finally at his lowest of low and he's got, he's all beaten up because like he gets beaten up and his wife looks at him with disgust. Like you're fucking a loser. His girlfriend is like, oh, poor baby and kisses him and all that. So of course he, he lets her back. Right. And um, he tells her, here's what you're going to do. So the guys are, um, have come into the jewel shop to beat the shit out of him again because they're like, look, we know you sold it. Give us the money. And he's like, I don't have the money, but I'm going to get it. 
And so, um, and he reveals to, like he's got a plan and they're like, no, no fucking plans. Just give us the goddamn money. And he was like, no, 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 no. It's a foolproof plan. Well, uh, what he does- that's, that's never foolproof. So what he ends up doing is he takes the, he makes a bet online um, or he, he finds places online. He takes all of the money that he has from it, puts it in a duffel bag, tells, calls his girlfriend and tells her to go out the window to meet his window. So she goes out the window of the jewelry, they're at the, this jewelry store in New York, right? She goes out and he hands her the duffel bag and he's got instructions of where to go. He sends her to Las Vegas because remember he can't bet anymore. So he puts her on a plane to Vegas. She makes the bet. It's either Vegas or Reno. I don't know. Anyway, um, I think it's Vegas. She gets there. She takes all of this money that he just made. He doesn't like even set aside some just in case. He literally bets the farm. Fuck he sake. takes all of this money and puts it on Kevin Garnett to win. But it's like a 26-point bet. So it's not just like, you know, them to win. It's like th- like for this many points, for this, for that. For- so there's like 26 different ways he can be uh, Right? So I hate it already. So they're like trying to stop him. They're like, no, you're not allowed to gamble. And then they realize what he, they like go to beat him up. They look at the computer. They realize what he did. So then they call, um, and, but his, his brother-in-law is actually in the shop this time. And um, so the thugs and his brother-in-law are there. His brother-in-law figure it out figures it out and like tells his thugs like hey call some people make sure she doesn't get there she makes it through through security in the airport she makes it onto the plane she makes it to vegas she makes the bet now mind you they know what place she's going to because he's told her like what casino and everything they know where she's going so he's he has people in vegas and they're like swarm the hotel be on the lookout for this girl so she but by the time they get there she's already placed the bet and on the plane, actually, I don't think it's a plane. It's like a helicopter. Um, the, on the helicopter, there's this like creepy old man hitting on her. And she's kind of nice to him. She, she, she blows him off in like the nicest way possible. So that he's kind of like, oh, still a chance. And um, when she places the bet, he's sitting there. Like she realizes, because like he calls, he sends her a text saying, hey, they're after you. Um, so she looks around and sees guys looking for her. And so she, like, this guy was like, hey, come up to my room, blah, blah, blah. So she's like, okay. <laughs> so she goes and stays in his room for the duration of the game. So the bet's already been placed, and now she's safely in this super rich guy's, like, suite. And he's like, oh, do you want to do blah, blah, blah? She's like, no, I just want to watch the game. <laughs> so she, I hate everything about this. So, uh, so we're, we're going back and forth between Vegas, where she's just watching the game, and his shop, where he has trapped everybody so they were all when they figured out he was gambling they all rush to um to leave because they're like stop her stop her and he traps them like you know how in the um in jewelry shops they have like the door you have to go through one door and then you have to get buzzed in to get through the second door yeah he traps them in between the two doors and he locks them in and he makes them sit there for the duration of the game because he's like it's gonna work it's gonna work because it's not gonna work and they're sitting there and then it's the most intense time ever because we have to watch the game. Oh God. And so, and so you're like, oh, oh shit. Okay. There's six points. And so you finally get to like 23 and then it's like, but they still have to win. Right. So it's like the 26th thing he wins and you're on this roller coaster. Cause like every little thing you're like, if he doesn't get this, if this thing doesn't happen, he like loses a bunch of money and he's not going to lose all of it, but he would lose like a good portion of it. Right. Um, but then, but if he makes it, he's like a multimillionaire because he puts so much money on it 
and the bed is so high. Work. So what happens? He wins. Oh my god, even worse. Uh, yes, he wins, and then um, she goes. Remember, she's and she's safe because like they can't find her because she's in the um, she's in this rich guy's suite, and they're not looking in the rich guy's suite. They're thinking she's on the floor somewhere. So they're still searching the floor trying to find her, and she's safe in this guy's suite. And then um, she calls in another favor from this guy, and she ends like the next thing we see of her. Actually, sorry, let's go back to uh, New York. So when that uh, when that happens, he opens the door to let them back in. He should have fucking opened the door to send them out. Instead, he thinks he's good because he's got enough money to pay him off, and he would be good because his brother-in-law is like, okay, you know, basically you're my brother-in-law, just pay me, and we're done. Except the thugs are like, fuck you guys, kills the brother-in-law, kills him, goes to go after the buddy, calls the people, and they're like, yo find the bitch get the money go to now we're in vegas she's in a limo and she's get it being handed money from the rich guy and she's like oh thanks for cashing it in i didn't feel safe carrying this money around so he she, he won and he got that she has the money and she's safe now and his dudes never found her because he just assumed that they would find her they never found her because she was smart enough to stay hidden and but in the meantime everybody's dead and that's how so, it is so yeah fun times yeah um i'm glad that you ended on uncut gems it, it's a it's one that i was like oh sounds interesting i'm like oh but it just sounds so sad i'm just glad that adam sandler adam sandler is like it, it's the saddest thing about this movie having not seen it um is the fact that adam sandler can do a movie like this but he just does garbage <laughs> yes so just I wish that he'd do more. And he's, it's like, ah. Yeah, so that's how it ends. He fucking dies. He wins, but then he dies. So there you go. Fun. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. It's a fun not, time. Not at all. That's why it's like, oh, I'll never and, watch that again. Um, so my last, my actual uh, last movie was going to be Snowpiercer, but it'll just get an honorable mention. It's also a difficult film to watch. Um, very good, but very difficult to watch. It's, it's not, it's not great. Um, but yeah, we, we don't have time. Um, it's Snowpiercer. It, it's I didn't know much about it uh, as I was watching it. I'm just like, okay. I mean, I get it, but what's happening? And then I'm like, oh, that's not great. That's depressing cool. as fuck. Thanks, Snowpiercer. But yeah, I cut gems. I I do want to see it, but then there's the rest of me that's like, but you have so much to watch. This is true, and it's it does not it's not a happy ending at all. It's anxiety ridden because you're like I said, it's very uncomfortable because it puts you in his shoes, but without being able to make the decisions to make it stop. Yeah. So you're just like, so, hey, stop. no, don't do that. Don't do the oh, god damn it, he did it. He did oh, fuck he did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the movie for like it's 90 minutes of that. And then he dies. All right. I suggest that instead of that just to just as a, a palate cleanser. What if we did something more upbeat? Like, uh, like we can do comedies. Let's, you know what? I bet we can do comedies. Let's do comedies. All right. I bet you we can go way over on time with that one. I bet you that we can do that because that sounds like something we'd do. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Follow us on all the things. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
one of us will be there. Which one? It's a mystery. Links in the description. Until next time, goodbye. Peace.